Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, March 28, 2023, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts for the evening, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our special guest this evening is Sharon Wagner, who has been on the spiritual path all her life. She is a teacher, a channeler, a counselor, an energy healing practitioner, helping people gain balance and harmony for a more peaceful life. Sharon believes that knowledge with an understanding of the mind, body, and soul leads to wisdom, power, and the ability to make better informed choices. This then leads to a change in behavior to have a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life. She is a Reiki master, integrative energy therapy master instructor, and a quantum energy healer. At 19, she was secretly planning her suicide. One night, Sharon questioned ending her life and wished there was someone to talk with since she knew no one knew of her plans. That night, one of her spirit guides came during her dream state. He knew all about her life, her plan, and her past lives. He took Sharon to the other side, showed her an earlier past life, showed her earth in a different dimension, and answered a multitude of questions. While writing this information down, Sharon realized it had been an extraordinary divine intervention. In 2003, she had another session on the other side, and the wisdom revealed from both sessions is included in her new book, which is Divine Intervention, Revelations on Life and Death. So uh, for this evening, we would also like to thank um, Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard in case anyone has a comment or question. And if you'd like to show your support for our show, just click follow on our page and we would appreciate that. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session. And please remember, Lavendar has now retired from doing sessions so she can finish her book and continue writing for Starseed. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you're going to get a window of 10 hours of great manifestational power. So find out exactly when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. Um, A week or two before your birthday would be adequate, but if you want a reading of that chart, Make it about two months before your birthday. So first up, I'm going to switch screens here for a second. Uh, We have Anastasia and her wonderful Starseed News. Well, hi, Anastasia. Good evening, everybody. Great to be with you. I was just trying to catch the last second update on something that I want to talk to you tonight in the news story. We're going to end with that. It's about the planetary alignment. So I was doing that just as you called me. So anyway, I'm here. <laughs> I didn't think I'd get it done in time. Um, the, the, best, the, the most current update I could find about tonight's planetary alignment was from India, of all places, and it was an article that was only 25 minutes old. So I don't know. Anyway, the Internet's interesting nowadays. used to be we could search things and find just about anything we wanted and anymore. 
it's getting more difficult to find stuff. And oddly, I couldn't find any updated article about the planetary alignments except from India. So there it is. But we got it. And I'm going to share it with you when we're done tonight. So let's get started. I started with the end instead of the beginning. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning and let me begin. <laughs> there has been a um, a wonderful event in the Rocky Mountains. A woman and her family were driving down a remote hair, uh, highway in uh, Canada's Rocky Mountains when they uh, noticed a, a figure against the dark forest. They, they just couldn't believe it. Now, these are people who are from this area. They, they know wildlife. This astonished them because they uh, saw that nuzzling through the snow for food was a white grizzly bear. Now, that's not a polar bear. And to be able to see it against the snow was astonishing enough just the happenstance of being able to find it, but they are very rare, incredibly rare. Now, grizzly bears normally range in coloration from dark brown to blonde. If you've ever seen a grizzly bear, oh, my gosh, they are awesome. We're actually quite terrifying, awesome and terrifying. Uh, and they, they really do have beautiful colors, but white, white again, is like, wow, amazing. Uh, now, they say that that's a, the result of a very recessive gene, it's not an albino bear, and it's not a, a member of another Canadian subspecies, which is called the spirit bear. Now, those are white bears, and they are found in Canada in the more temperate regions. And I just was looking up the other day, just happened to come across a picture of a spirit bear, which I thought was really cool, a white bear. But this is a white grizzly. It's really made the news because it's just so rare. So, I don't know, take that for what you will. Then, you know, native populations would attribute a great omen to that, uh, a white grizzly bear. It's just a fascinating thing and, and really, really cool. They're, they're still out, there's still some left, and they're rare to start with. So it was a very wonderful sighting. And if you like bears, you're happy to hear that story. Mm. Well, there, science is moving along so fast. Oh, gosh, you guys. Wow. It's, it's incredible what they're finding out. Well, here is a new story, and bear with me because you're going to go, ooh, when I tell you where this is coming from. So let me just say that they're always looking for more information on the human genome. You know that. And um, now they have discovered that they can uncover vast amounts of information about human genomes. Um, and, and in the past, and we're talking about ancient information, they've relied on the fossils of bones and teeth, you know, in the, in the previous uh, uh, Cro-Magnon man and cavemen and stuff. That's where they've gotten the ancient DNA to tell us about our history and humanity's uh, family tree, whatever. But they say that there's some issues with teeth. Most of the fact is that the genetic sequences they find have kind of been degraded and they're incomplete. So there's been problems with that, and it's been incomplete. They just haven't found what they, what they, all they wanted to find. Well, now some researchers from the University of Copenhagen have discovered a new approach to overcome the problem of the broken genetic sequences found from teeth and bones that have degraded. They have found this solution. They published it in the Journal of Molecular Biology and Evolution. They had an ingenious idea to investigate something which is a byproduct of head lice that is still present on ancient human remains. That's the yucky part. <laughs> the nits yeah. of it. Now, the nits of the lice is, uh, form a, uh, a cement um, around itself uh, produced by the female lice to attach their eggs to the, to the scalp. Yuck. Okay. But anyway, from this remnant, this ancient remnant of head lice, 
on bones. They have discovered DNA 2,000 years ago on mummies, on mummies. And apparently our ancient ancestors all had lots and lots of head lice. So there is a, an abundance of information. And like the fictional story of mosquitoes encased in amber uh, housing the dinosaur genes, you know, we make dinosaurs from amber, the mosquito from an amber chunk. Well, yeah. well, now we are learning that the genetic information is preserved by the sticky substance produced by head lice. And in addition to genetics, they tell us that the biology discovered in this provides valuable clues about how people lived, what they ate, uh, and wow. how they died, what was wrong with them, their diseases. Can you believe this? This is, <laughs> I don't know. Wow. It's, just, it's, just, it's sort of chilling in a way. Well, this huge perk of this idea, it's like a, a brainstorm this, these people got, is the fact that the quality of the DNA that they're recovering is like really, really good. And so now they're sequencing the DNA from mummies from Argentina and found in the mountains, high mountains of Argentina, really ancient mummies, really mummies too. And from this DNA, they're getting information about the migration patterns of our human ancestors how populations bred with each other around the world. They're uncovering that just from looking at these mummies. And they say that now they're getting a more accurate per picture of human history. Now, the demand for DNA samples from ancient humans is growing in recent years because they want to know about migration and diversity in ancient human populations. Interesting, don't you think? Well, whatever. Mm. Anyway, head lice have accompanied humans throughout their entire existence. And so this new method opens the door to a gold mine of information. Goodness knows what they're going to do with all of this. But they're, I mean, they're decoding everything. Uh, AI, the new AI system has come up with, uh, how many million was it? 500 million? I, I shouldn't tell you this unless I can get my facts straight. Uh, hundreds of millions of protein sequences that could not be arrived at through humans in, in any reasonable amount of time. Take hundreds of years. To, to sequence all this uh, genetic mapping of these proteins. And now that they've done this, uh, oh gosh, it's, it's a scientific revolution and it's going to change the world. And, this is, and it's done through AI, artificial intelligence, um, which is another thing that's leaping forward in just the amount of time that we've been doing the news. Well, it's a different world already. It's going to be another different world in another five years from now. What is going on in science is electrifying. And this, what we're talking about here with their DNA research is just more of the same. Now listen to this. Scientists have created the first ever comprehensive map of an insect brain. Seriously. Uh, talk about microscience. Well, according to a new study published in the journal Science, scientists have generated the first complete map of an insect brain and critically all of the synaptic wire that ties this insect brain together. The resulting map is known as a connecticome, and it's a fundamental piece now of neuroscience. They say it's a reference brain. It's going to tell them a lot of things. Where do you hear this? A fruit fly contains its brain contains exactly 3,016 neurons and 548,000 synapses. Now, you can't live without that kind of information, can you? <laughs> I always wanted to know There's that. more. There's more. <laughs> the, the genetic map is mind-blowingly detailed, and the astonishing fact is that the insect brain is now much realized. It's much more similar to 
the human brain than anyone could have ever imagined. Now, just take that and chew on that for a while. There are regions that correspond to decision-making in a fruit fly brain. There's regions that correspond to learning, regions that correspond to navigation. Yes. <laughs> they created this, uh, this map using the brain of a female fruit fly larva. It was only six hours old. Well, they photographed this brain using an electron microscope for a year and a half, you guys, generating thousands of visual slices, and they were subsequently synthesized using a specialist computer program. Here, enter AI, okay? This is where uh, the researchers were able to map the, synapse, the synapses because of all of this coordination between AI and sciences. And they say to fully understand the brain, you have to know how it's wired. So by tracing the neurons of this fruit fly, they discovered something very unexpected. How similar in a fruit fly the left and right sides of the brain are in stark contrast to the human brain. Now they say this is fascinating and it's the tip of the iceberg. They say it's going to help scientists figure out how an animal's brain grows and differs as well as how to fix human brains. They say if your radio breaks, someone has a wiring diagram of your radio, they'll be in a better position to fix it. And they say that this understanding of insect brains is going to give them a more thorough map of the human brain. And they said while it, the fruit fly brain appeals to the complexity of the human brain, which, by the way, your brain, my brain, our brains, has 100 billion neurons and 100 trillion synapses. But they say this, this work on the micro level with these tiny, tiny animals is uh, a map towards mapping the human brain in its entirety. Oh. I don't know about you all, but I think that's pretty terrifying. It's, <clears throat> it's fascinating and quite interesting. It's not about the knowledge. It's about who has the knowledge and what they right. do with it. That's yeah. the thing, right? Well, here's a great story about a husky dog. After a series of miraculous uh, rescues, you all have been well-informed about Turkey and the earthquake there, uh, teams that were digging through the rubble in the aftermath of last month's earthquake in Syria had given up on any more survivors. Three weeks gone, and they didn't think they'd find anything. But they heard an unexpected sound coming from beneath a concrete block pile uh, in one of the devastated Tur Turkish towns. And the, the sound came from a dog, a young-looking husky, was pulled to safety by the rescuers more than three weeks after the quake that killed more than 50,000 humans and such. They say it took an hour and a half to rescue this dog from the rubble, but he isn't the only pet to been rescued. France report, or, uh, French media reports that Turkey's Animal Rights Federation rescued 1,000 dogs, cats, birds, rabbits, and even cows from the aftermath of the quake which is wonderful news. Oh, yeah. And now I want to tell you a wonderful thing about uh, this. Is, uh, there's a tortoise species that's uh, on the edge of extinction. It's called a radiated tortoise. Well, we you know, we think about radiation. There's something wrong with it. You know, it's been exposed to radiation. That's not why they call it a radiated tor tortoise. If you look at the pattern of the design on the back of its shell, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's like starbursts of bright yellow. Uh, uh, suns exploding in, in beautiful sparkling light across the back of their shells, a radiation of light 
on the, on the back of the turtle shell. That's why they're called a radiated tor- tortoise. And the Houston Zoo has had some of these. Uh, they keep them because, like I say, they're on the edge of extinction. And they've, just, they've released a news report that three baby tortoises that belong to these tur- tur- turtles, they're critically endangered, have been born to, to parents. Uh, the, the father of the babies, the triplets, is 90 years old. This tortoise, 90 years old, his name is Mr. Pickles. (laughs) 90-year-old Mr. Pickles was partnered with 53-year-old Mrs. Pickles. Since 1996, they've been married for a while now. (laughs) And I need to tell you, radiated tortoises can live about 188 years. Uh, But the New York Times says no one really knows how long they're able to sire children. But generally uh, speaking, the tortoises produce few offspring, whether in the wild or certainly in captivity. Um, but the big story is that hatchlings were made possible because of the sharp-eyed zoo staffer. <clears throat> the staffer saw Mrs. Pickles laying the eggs, and they would not have survived had not they been discovered because they wouldn't have lived in Houston's soil. So the zoo transferred the eggs to, uh, to a special uh, amphibian house uh, for five months, to mimic what would have been their natural surroundings. They're from Madagascar, okay? That's the only place that they live. And um, they found, transferred them to a place where it mimicked their natural environment, and they put them in an incubator. And it takes them quite a while to, to gestate. It takes them quite a long time. And when they're born, they're only about an inch long. They're absolutely adorable. Well, of course they are. Now, I'm going to share with you the triplets' names. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Pickles gave birth to Dill, Jerkin and Jalapeno. <laughs> and when the babies, the triplets, are big enough, they're going to join their parents and we'll all get to see them together. So, uh-huh. Dill, Gherkin, and Jalapeno, welcome into the world. May you have more babies and may we have more uh, radiated tortoises in the world. They are truly beautiful. And it's, it's, a really, it's a great story for environmentalists. All right, finally, I'm going to share a love story with you. Well, not finally, because we have to get to the planet yet. But our last sort of story about others tonight is about a love affair. Um, six, day, six decades ago, uh, some parents called off an engagement of a couple who were madly in love. The, uh, the man's name is Len. He's now 79, and the woman is Jeanette. She's 78. And we find out that they first met in 1963 when they were in training together as nurses at St. Mary's Hospital in the Isle of Wight, an island in the English Channel. He was 19 and she was 18 at the time. Now, that's when nurses were trained in hospitals. Uh, They didn't go to nursing school. They were trained on the job, and they were wonderful nurses, by the way, superb, probably the best. Anyway, in reporting their relationship, they said it was love at first sight. And a few months later, he asked her to marry him, and she said yes. After all, you know, she was 18. But shortly thereafter, he moved to Australia to buy, get, to buy a plot of land and build a house for them to live in once they got married. Well, the catch is the age of consent uh, in England at that time was 21, and her parents put a stop to the wedding because she was only 18. Her parents wouldn't let her move to Australia either. So she sent Lynn a letter explaining why she had to end their engagement. They were both brokenhearted. The years went by, and Len eventually married someone in Australia, and Jeanette married someone on the Isle of Wight. 
Well, 52 years came and went, and Lynn was divorced and looking for love again. He decided to travel back to the Isle of Wight and look for his first love's address in a directory, a phone book. He said, I was daunted, not knowing what reaction would be or if I would even see her. I went on the off chance. It was not an easy place to find, not an easy thing to do, but I did it. He was standing by her garden fence looking at the house when she noticed him, and she said, Who are you? (laughs) She said, I nearly died when I realized it was him standing by my garden fence. However, she was still married at the time, so she turned him away. But two years later, her husband died, so she reached back out to Lynn. He'd sent her a Christmas card the year before and still had his contact information. She said, I was glad he looked me up. I thought of him a lot. So in 2018, she agreed to move uh, move up uh, and, and to live with him, actually. They decided to move in together. And last year, he got down on one knee and he asked her to marry him. So this year, they tied the knot, February 11th. Uh, They have matching rings, and their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren were present for their wedding. Oh. She said, married life is fantastic. It couldn't be better. It's nice to be with someone I've loved for so long and so much. He said, we fell in love all over again. We read poems to each other, and I got emotional, and I'm overwhelmed with my love for her after all these so many years. So, wow, what (laughs) that is sweet. Very rich. Uh. All right. Well, let's talk about the planetary alignment tonight. This is a big deal. Uh, This is, as you said, March 28th. The five planets are getting ready to align. I want you to get ready to enjoy them, rather. They're aligning now. Get ready to uh, enjoy the rare sight of the parade of five planets in the sky tonight. Five planets will be visible in the night sky are Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Uranus. They will align in a line to put up a rare show for humans. And as a bonus, Saturn will also appear for a very short period in the early morning hours on March 27th and March 28th. Well, that's come and gone, sorry. The best thing is that you won't even need binoculars to spot Venus, Mars, and Jupiter in the sky. They're going to be visible to the naked eye. Mercury and Uranus were comparatively difficult to spot. You can spot, spot them with the use of binoculars, a binocular or a telescope. The best time to view these planets are right after sunset tonight, March 28th. The planets will start disappearing from the sky within 30 minutes of sunset. So you do need to be real quick and ready. If you miss this rare sight tonight, you'll get to see it. Uh, you'll only, you're going to have to wait another uh, 17 years for 2040 to roll around. So this is it. Get it tonight <laughs> or wait until 2040. Now, the astrologers, astronomers excuse me, are telling us right after sunset looks toward the west. You'll see these planets strung out in a line extending about 50 degrees or so upward. The planets uh, will extend from the sky's horizon to about halfway up. You know where the horizon is. You can see. Now, the morning star Venus will be the brightest of all. And <clears throat> I will bring out that the moon is a crescent tonight. It will look like an upside-down cup. And they align with the moon. So spot the moon and work from there. Um, Mars will be visible, and Mars is going to be the closest one, the, mo- the one closest to the moon. So you'll see more Venus and uh, Mars more clearly. You'll find the moon easy enough, 
And if you pull out your binoculars, you'll see the rest of them that need to be seen. So go for it. This is a big deal. Get ready for 30 after sunset when the sun goes down. You got 30 minutes to find this, <laughs> and I think I think it's a great thing. It's going to be beautiful if you have the means to do it. If your skies are clear, <clears throat> suddenly I'm hoarse. I apologize. <clears throat> I've been talking all day, <clears throat> talking to people. This is the end of my day, and my voice is tired, <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> but from my heart to each one of you, much love, everybody. The world is getting better in many ways. There's much of a future to look forward to, but you know. We need all the starseed exercising all of their spiritual judgment and all of their influence to make sure that what's ahead is the best it can possibly be. It's a world of our making, and we need all of you to do your part, and I know you are really making a difference. It's wonderful to see. Thank you for this opportunity to be with all of you. I greatly appreciate it, Ariel, and I appreciate you, too. So I'll see you in a couple weeks, I guess. Okay. It's a pleasure. Good job once again. And uh, enjoy the night sky. Oh, I'm going to. You betcha. Okay. I'm going to go look. I'll I'll let you know next time what I found. Okay. If anything. All right. I'm not really good at this sort of thing, but they make it sound like you can't miss, so I'm going to try. Good. Let us know. All right, then. We'll, um, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. So, um, uh, so there's Lavendar and our special guest, Sharon Wagner. I'm going to get your mics open. Okay. You all ready to go? I'm ready to go. Okay. I'm ready to go. Yep. All right. So hello, Sharon, and I can't remember which um, quest that you came to, but it w- seems like it was maybe 2015. Is that right? No, it was uh, about 10 years ago. It was the second quest. The second one. Okay, that'd be yeah. 2013. 2013, yes. 2013. Yeah. Yes, Jada was there also. Yes, yes, Jada Jada's has been with us a long time, and she's probably on the switchboard tonight. Yeah. Um, this book that you sent me that you've written, my goodness, girl, A Divine Intervention, <laughs> Revelations About Life and Death. I've been reading on it today, and it is just masterful. Just, I am so pleased with, with uh, how you've written it and how that you're explaining so many things that a lot of us have, have wondered about. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and then lead us into your book. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy that you like it. And I, uh, it's been a, I, I put in the beginning, it was a, um, <laughs> it was a long haul and it's been edited several times. So that's, uh, every, I had a lot of help and I was so happy to, um, to actually get it finished and have it published. So I, um, at 19, I was an empath, and I didn't even know what an empath was at that point. But I was, I was feeling everybody's hardships and all the negativity, all the struggles, and all the the, the bad things of life. There wasn't much joy in my in my family. They were there was nothing wrong though. I had no nothing, no traumas, no abuse. Nothing really <clears throat> that was that would cause me to want to commit suicide, 
But what it was is that I had a very, very nice spiritual life with one of my guides. So I, I flew around with him, went different places, did different things. And I just knew that everything in, I knew about God and heaven and angels and guides. And I thought it was just too hard to be here. I didn't want to, I didn't want to grow up. I didn't want to be an adult. Yeah, from what I people would lose jobs, people would die. There was a lot of death. My mother was 40 years old when she had me. So all of our relatives were older also. So I had two grandparents die. My brother's sister died. And it was, it was a struggle. There was somebody that was a neighbor whose husband was a fireman and the high school caught on fire and the one of the and her her husband died in the fire and she had i think four children and she was just she ran up and down the the street screaming and it, my heart just about broke in half so i so by 19 i i thought oh dear i don't want to work all day and come home and be miserable all night or have to worry about all these other things. But then at 19, I went to college. My mother wasn't well. She had several, I'd say, terminal diseases. My father was still working full-time, and my brother had been drafted into the Army. It was the Vietnam War era, so that was going on also. And I was having second thoughts because... There was nobody there to take care of my mother, and I thought I better I better rethink this. But I hadn't told anybody about it, so I I just just had a thought. I wish I had somebody to talk to. And that that very night, when I went to sleep, one of my guides came, and it was really weird because I in the dream state I thought I was awake, and I was laying in my bed, and I I looked to the side of the bed, and here's this little man standing next to me. He was about four feet tall, and he had on a black suit and a white shirt and a tie, looked very formal. And I knew I was in my dorm room, and it didn't bother me. That was the weirdest part. I wasn't afraid of anything. I had no idea who he was or why he was there. And I just looked at him and didn't say anything. And all of a sudden, he started talking. And he said that he knew he talked about my plan of taking my life and that I hadn't told anybody and that he told me that he was sent there by others that wanted me to have more information so that I could make a more informed choice. And that I had, I had taken my life in a previous lifetime, and and I had it had taken 42 years to get back to the spiritual knowledge that I have in this lifetime, and I I was just I said oh my goodness, I didn't know what to think of that, and I had heard about re- reincarnation, but. And I actually accepted it, but I had no idea uh, anything, anything really about it. 
So I asked him, I said, well, can you tell me more about my my life 42 years ago when I took my life? And he said, yes, take my hand. And I did without even flinching or thinking twice about it. Next thing I know, we were we were in another house, and there was a woman sitting at a table. It looked like it reminded me of Little House on the Prairie, what we see on TV now. And there was a woman sitting there at a round table. It was an, it was a small home, and it had a fireplace with a a beam going across the living room, and she was sitting in this chair at the table. There was nobody else there, and she had a pistol in her hand, and she looked desperate. And another weird thing that I looked at her, and I thought, oh, my goodness, she she really did look a little bit like me, but not exactly like me, but I could see a, a resemblance. And I was just watching her. And next thing I know, we were in the same room, but there was a coffin there, and this lady was in the coffin. And I thought, thank goodness, she did shoot herself. She took her life, but I'm really thankful that I didn't have to see that. So I asked him then, I said, well, what's going on now? And there were other people there in the room. And some were crying, some were off to the side, you know, just talking amongst themselves. And I said, what is what is going on? Next thing I know, we were, he took my hand, and we were on a staircase going up to a second floor, but looking down at the coffin, the open coffin with this woman. And she looked so peaceful. She almost looked like she was smiling. She was just... Um, she had a different dress on, her hair had been done, and she looked very nice and very happy. So I, of course, I was brought up, I was brought up Catholic, and I thought, how can this be? If I had done this 42 years ago, wasn't I damned to hell for all of eternity? And he just kind of smiled, and he said, no, it doesn't work that way. Take my hand once again. So I did. Next thing I know, we're flying out in space. I call it the void, but it was, there were just stars everywhere. And I don't know, it didn't seem like we were, it seemed like we were flying because we were moving, but there was nothing around. I I couldn't tell where we were or how long we were gone. And then all of a sudden, we came to a complete stop. And he said, he said, okay, look down. And there was a planet there, and it looked like Earth. And it, 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 the blue marble that we can see pictures of from space. And I said, is that the Earth? And he said, no, it's very similar to Earth, but we're in a higher dimension. Now I'm thinking it is the fifth dimensional Earth, but I really don't know for sure. So he just said, look at, um, that is Earth in, an, in another dimension. And and I just kind of stopped and looked around and realized how happy I was. And it was like breathing unconditional love rather than oxygen. 
it was, I just, I even got emotional even in the dream state. So I said, did I die? Did I really die in my sleep and you've brought me here to heaven? (laughs) And he just, he smiled, but he said, no, no, um, it's not your time yet. But, um, but he said, this is a very important lifetime for you. And the others wanted you to have more information and that I was an empath and that I was only feeling the negative aspects of life. And they wanted me to have this other information so that I could make a, a better informed decision when I went back. So next thing I know, we were closer to the earth. We never went down onto it, but you could see people there walking around. Some were in museums. It was almost transparent. You could, it was really different. You could see people in schools and museums and in workplaces, and everybody was just so happy. They, um, they were doing what they loved to do, and I realized there's no negativity here. It was just so beautiful, and it was still breathing unconditional love. It was a very blissful state, and I, I said, well, can I stay? I, I really want to stay. Do I have to go back? And he just said, yes, it's not your time, remember? And I said, all right, but he said, the biggest thing that we have when we are on earth is our free will and choice. So that when I do go back, I still have that choice to make. And he said, and as you know now, there are always consequences to all of your choices. Some are are worse than others, but he said there's um, there's always consequences, whether they may be good or bad, depending on that choice that you make, whether it's of kindness, or of or not. So next thing I know, I was back in my bed in the dorm room and it was morning and I had to get up and go to class. And I was shaking like a leaf for a while and I and I just realized, oh my goodness, you know, that is that's our real life in spirit. And and he talked about the different levels. There were seven levels on the other side and each level was different with a different purpose and and how things how things worked. He answered all my questions while I was there. And and then in the end though I was back in my back here in the third dimension and I had to go to class. So that was um that I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, this is the illusion here on earth. And I, ever since then, I have, it feels like, you know, you're connected with God, connected with God while we're here. And the, the deeper connection in my heart and my soul has never left. And it feels like it happened a week ago. It was so vivid and so clear and so beautiful. And when I tried to write everything down, I I couldn't even find the words for it. For the there was music, there was the colors were so vivid, 
it was just so different and so beautiful. Let me ask you, did you see colors that that, that were there, but you can't describe them here? I know yes. that when I had an experience in another dimension, I saw colors, and when I tried to describe them here, I went, uh, there's nothing I can, there's no way I can describe this. <laughs> it was yes. very frustrating for me, yeah. Yes, I agree. They were just so vivid and so uh, so different and beautiful, just absolutely beautiful. The flowers, there are flowers and trees and shrubs and birds, and it was just amazing. So after you had this experience, um, did you uh, work with it a while? Did you did you dismiss it? Did you deny it? How did you how did you come out of this at nineteen? Well, I um, I didn't really dismiss it because it felt so real, but I did spend two years doing research uh, of all the different religions, all the philo- um, philosophies, all of the different cultures because I had heard of reincarnation and I thought, well, that's got to be connected with the other side. And, but at the end, and I never told anybody about it at all. It was the late sixties and I figured that they, um, nobody would believe me. I convinced myself nobody would believe me. And it felt more like a utopia, you know, perfect. Everything was absolutely perfect. And so after two years, I did, I believed everything he told me. And and I had experienced so much with my guide, too. So I knew that there was, there was a spirit realm, but I had never put everything together like he had for me, answering all my questions. So that's when I, I had, it was like a huge aha moment, like, wow, this is, um, we really are here. We're here playing a role. It's like Shakespeare said, that the whole world is our stage, and we're here playing a role in learning and doing and observing and evolving our soul and our lifetimes. And and it, it was so my spiritual experiences continued after that, too. And in 2003, I, I sort of said, boy, I've got some more questions. Um, I wish I could do that again. And four nights later is when it happened. And that time it was, um, I asked the, my guide when I was 19 what his name was. And he said, we have no names, but uh, we have an essence and you can name me anything you want that seems to align with the essence that you feel. So I named him Jacob. And when I in 2003, when I had my other session, the guy that came to get me was um, also Jacob, but he looked completely different. He was he was not four feet tall anymore, and he was. He looked like what you would see with a white robe and a beard and um, very distinguished and, and very with a lot of wisdom. So he, so we laughed and we talked and, and he said, well, this time, are you ready for more information? And I said, absolutely. So he, there were 
six different guides, and each one covered a different aspect of the physical realm and the spirit realm and the transition in between the two. So they talked um, they talked about oh everything, energy, reincarnation, universal laws. There was and they had some quotes too that I that I really enjoyed that I did write down. And so the book the um the book is in two sections, two parts. Part one is all of the information that they gave me in uh, in both interventions. And part two are 18 personal stories that actually happened to me that I, I, I believe confirm all that information that they gave me during those. Um, there were seven sessions with six different spirit guides and everything happened on the other side. Well, you know, synchronization is confirmation. So that's, and that's the way you presented it in this book, which is brilliant, by the way. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad that you like it. It's, I love um, it. I love it. It was, and, and I, I wrote all these things down as they happened, but I really never thought anything was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, like this. <laughs> and well, when I, I got to the chapter, I'm sorry. When when no. I got to the chapter of water, yes. and 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 I started reading it to Tammy, I said, "Oh my goodness, look, she's written about water and vapors, and how it all works." And 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 I said, and and Tammy said, "Well, are you going to tell her that codes are in the water?" I said, "I sure am, because <laughs> that's what's happening here in Arkansas. The codes are in the water." Oh, yeah. Yeah. No wonder I like to be around water. Uh-huh. Although now I'm in the desert. <laughs> How do you like living in Sedona? I do. It is very nice. I um it is a dry heat and I I do have some osteoarthritis, so I do feel better here without the humidity. But I do uh, I do miss the water. I must say, I miss the trees yeah. and more of the nature. Then, yeah. uh, you know, when we went to Arkansas ten years ago, um, Arkansas was absolutely gorgeous with all the lakes and the trees and the mountains. It was great. Well, now the crystal grid is is really activated, and and the and the crystal grid is activating the water here. Oh, so, and then the yeah, that's the, the crystal grid is acting. Uh, Waters in different parts of the world, but it started right here. This is zero point of of the water. Wow, it's those Atlantean crystals that we dug out, probably. That's they right. Have yeah. lots to do with it. Well, you know, the Atlanteans before they blew themselves up, they came here and coded the crystal grid with their information, knowing that 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 it would rise again when technology would come back to the planet. And, of course, the code there is never again Atlantis. So a lot's right. happening from, from Arkansas. And, of course, we're going to have an eclipse here in, in 2024 that's going to hit right here at Mount Ida. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that. Yeah, April 8th or 6th, the first week of April of 2024. 
and all the motels and hotels are already booked. Oh, no. People are all over the world. I know it. I may I may just have to go to Aruba. <laughs> I don't know if I can be here for that. <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot of people. Yeah, holy moly. And at some point in time, Sharon, we'd love for you to come back and see us here in Arkansas. Well, I would love to do that. I'm not sure when right now, but I would love to. Yeah, well, you're, I, I know that, well, you're being launched right now with your book, so I really think it's going to do well, and the way you've written it, uh, by word of mouth, people are going to talk about this book, and that's the way most books are really sold anyway, It's when you yeah. get a good one, you pass it on to someone else, you pay it forward. Yep, that's right. I know, and there was there was so many things that, I mean, it changed my life in one night and I did my research, but all that information that is in there is, is, um, it, I think it, it, it pulls it all together so that yes, it does. makes more sense. Well, then you so, put your personal experiences in the second part mm-hmm. of the book that backs mm-hmm. up the first part of the book. Right. Right. And some of them are really profound. <laughs> well, very profound. It's like, so it, you know, I thought yeah. I had some high stress that happened to me, and then I started reading yours, and I'm going, oh, she's been there all right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. One of the one of the quotes, too, is um, that, that, that they did give me is, when we align our intentions with God and focus our prayers on healing others, miraculous things happen. And that was one of my stories, too. <clears throat> with the um, prayers, and I I started praying for people that had died long ago that didn't have anybody left to pray for them, and I thought, well, I'll just pray for them, whoever they might be, wherever, all over the world. And then one of the spiritual experiences I had was with my guide, and we were flying, um, flying through space, but we weren't that far up above the. We came to an opening where there were an awful lot of people, and and we kept flying over them, but they were all waving and saying hello and thank you, and I thought, well, you know, this is really nice, but I had no idea who any of them were, and we were we went past over them for quite a while. When we did stop, and they were gone, I asked the I asked the guide. I said, "Who were those people? Did you know all of those people?" Because they kept saying thank you and what did you do? <laughs> and he laughed at me, and he said, "No, it wasn't me." And I was shocked. And he said, "Do you remember when you started to praying for all those people that didn't have anybody left alive to pray for them?" And I said, "Yeah, but that was a few years ago." And he, he said, those are the people that that benefited from your prayers. Wow. And, I, and I just got very emotional and started to cry. And I said, really? It was hard to believe. And he said, yes, believe it. It was true. The power of prayer is amazing, especially when you have focused intention. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. So do you have a healing practice there in Sedona? Do people come? To, do you have an office or do you come to their house or do you do counseling work? Tell us a little bit how you 
been your time there in Sedona? Well, so far, I most of my, I have done some healing, <clears throat> but not. I don't have an office or anything. There was a, a place that offered healing uh, free, and people would come and just and pay a little bit of, of money. And then be able to go whatever healer they want, whatever modality there was. So I did that several times, and I loved it. But I would say the majority of my time has been doing this book. And um, I came here three times before I actually moved, or the third time I moved. The first time was just for a week. Um, I had had back trouble and a couple of major operations, so I knew I couldn't stay where I was that I loved because I lived in the woods back in New York. And, but it, it, and I was working full time also. So I knew I couldn't shovel snow anymore or uh, wheel the, the snow blower. So I was finding, trying to find some place to go to for that winter. And one of my friends and I came to Sedona. I wanted to check it out because I'd always wanted to come. And and then I came back that following winter for three months just to make sure it really was a place that I would like to live in. And I loved it. I found a spiritual family, a spiritual center, and everything, <clears throat> excuse me, felt like family. So I left in April and I went back home and I sold my house and all the belongings <laughs> And I came here with what I could pack in my car. And I still, because I still didn't know where I would be living, so I just, I rented a space um, for a few months, and then I found a one-bedroom apartment that I'm leasing right now. But all my spare time really was either um, helping out at the spiritual center or my friends or uh, working on the book. And then last Oh, but let me back up a little bit, too. The first week that we came, just to check it out, my friend and I were on Bell Rock uh, here in Sedona, and one of my other guides came and told me that it was time. And I said, what do you mean, it's time? <laughs> and they just said, it's time for you to write out all of the, all of the stories and all of the things that you were told. and get it published because the world is going to need it. And that was in 2020. So when I went back back home, I got out all my notes and I just had so much stuff and had to put it all together. And um, I laugh now because I call it the divine truths (laughs) And, and, and sort it all out and put it together in a, a coherent way and and then when I moved uh, I did have somebody back home edit for me which I just appreciated so much and he was a gem <laughs> because he didn't understand spiritual stuff like I did so he had a lot of questions and I was so grateful because it it helped me to explain things in more detail and and it and I knew what I was talking about, but if I wanted people to understand what I was saying, I knew I had to go deeper and explain things a little bit better. And 
and then I then I moved here, and I had two more edits, two more people edited the book, <laughs> and when it finally was finished and ready to, I self-published, and when I was ready to hit that button to submit it for the final thing, my hand was shaking like a leaf, but I thought, yep, do it. Just I had another friend that kept just saying, just do it, just do it. So that's what got me to hit that button, and off it went. Oh, that's great. Well, it's a wonderful book, and I want our listeners to uh, look at your website, SharonWagnerMystic.com, and order this book. And at this time, I'd like to pass you over to Arielle, who has the switchboard, and maybe she has some people that will come on and maybe ask you questions. Or just to say hello, some of the questers that are listening, maybe they want to come and say hello to you. So thank you so much, Sharon, for uh, being our guest tonight and for sending me this book. In fact, this book landed in my lap at a time I really needed to read it. Let's just put it that way. Oh, thank you so much. And you're very welcome. And I'm really glad it was helpful. Very helpful. So back to you, Arielle. Okay. Wow, so this is just fascinating. Um, you mentioned uh, some some quotes, and yes. um, can you can you quote a few of the quotes? I, I like you know one lining one liner kind of <laughs> sum it up. Well, yep, the intention was one of them. Another one was conscious awareness increases knowledge, which increases understanding which increases wisdom. Wisdom increases the ability to change your mind, change your beliefs, and change your perspectives, all of which changes your life. Whoa. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's, yeah, that like is a good, one. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of this, and most of it is all about um our thoughts and our beliefs and what and to and to gain self awareness of our thoughts and our inner feelings, our emotions. And that's how we can really tell how we're doing if we're on the scale of, you know, happiness or fearfulness and dread. And it's everything is really fear it it's like uh, our duality and our polarity between fear and love and hate and kindness. And it's finding where we are on that scale of yeah. uh, of emotion, too. And, to, and the, our self-awareness alone of where we are on that scale, we learn to monitor our thoughts and our, and our thoughts cause our beliefs. And a lot of people depending on how they're even brought up or what culture they're in, they have certain beliefs that have been ingrained in them. And then when you get to be an adult, you can look back and and see life differently. And you really don't have to have those beliefs anymore. It's I call it, it's a privilege of being an adult, is to see the world in a whole different way and, and have new beliefs, new perspectives and the the more you can look at life from a higher perspective, you can it's a more broader viewpoint of every situation that you're in. 
and that you can you can form different beliefs and thoughts and feelings about many things and then once you do that you it's easier to change behavior and you can and learn lessons from even just observing other people you don't have to go through hardship it's um i call it you can push the easy button <laughs> <laughs> push well, the yeah. easy button and and um and just observe and say oh no you know, you know what you like and what you don't like and what you want and you don't want. So you can make that choice in a lot of, um, in, in the book, it goes even from ant, plants and animals. By observation, we can um, see how they, their survival techniques. And, and even with people, even people that seem to be miserable, or unhappy, it's usually a survival technique because they've been they've gone through something awful, and and they're defensive. So that if we can have if we can look at people like that objective more objectively, we can understand their behavior at all, and we don't have to have them in our life, but we can look at them with forgiveness and compassion. And, and know that they must have gone through something terrible and not be quite so critical or judgmental right off the bat. Uh, yeah, when you're talking about, you know, um, how parents may literally program their kids, you know, you should right. believe this and, and you shouldn't believe that, um, that's what Lavendar calls filters. And... Oh. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's just you know every every situation, every decision, when it goes through the filter that that you were like you were talking about, it can skew your choice. So That's how would right. you go about how would you go about um, uh, kind of rising above that or helping people to rise above that? Well, I call them <clears throat> triggers actually, because people you. Know, People will hear or see or do something, and they'll be, feel very uncomfortable about it. And they get, um, <clears throat> and I call it triggered. They're triggered. And sometimes they don't know why they're triggered. But it's, so then it's telling people to ask why. Why do I feel that way? Why, do, why am I having that emotional response? And and you keep asking, and then you, you come up with an answer, and, and you keep saying, well, why do I feel that way? And why do I feel that way? And eventually, um, it's called tracking, actually, what I call traction, tracking, what I've learned to call it. And you will find a root cause. And whether it was something that was uh, drilled into you from school or parents or culture or tradition, and it doesn't agree and whatever's happening at the time doesn't agree with your beliefs. So it's really a belief that has been um, installed. installed. And, and then, so then when you go back like that, you can look at it more objectively and, and see if there's a lesson to be learned in all of that. You know, if, if something went awry when you were small 
and or if you were abused and you know it, it could be just a phrase it could be just a an, a mannerism and it, it but all of a sudden you're in a uh you're in a terrible state of mind and and not sure why but learning lessons learning that's one how <clears throat> learning lessons you can will change your beliefs but to actually look at all of your beliefs and, and re, re-examine them and see why why you feel the way you do about a lot of things. And well, there's so usually, yeah, there's layers. Yeah, layers there's many. My, yeah. my parents many told me layers. this, and then Sunday school told me that. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. I know I was like that when I was in second grade. Um, I was in school, Catholic school, and they did tell me something, and it didn't set right with me at all. And I, I said, I don't, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> huh. And I, so I, I, I questioned, I questioned a lot of things after that. Oh. And I was only in second grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. People that ask too many questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's. Uh, that, you know, when people don't want to answer a bunch of questions, mm-hmm. I would be suspect. It's like well, it just, you know, you know. right. And I would ask questions, and um, they would just say, um, "Some other time, or later on, you'll you'll learn about that." Or there is no answer to that, and and they would just get agitated, and. <laughs> So I learned to not ask questions early on, and I, I just felt like um, I stuffed all my all my curiosity because it was more like an inner knowing, and and it wasn't long after that that I became very close with my guide. So I, I think I got more of my education through him. Right. Well, when did you first, when were you first aware that you had a guide? Um, that was, that was a few years after that. I really don't remember ex- the exact timing, but I know it was, um, I was either or maybe 11, 12, 13. Okay. I, I would say. Yeah. Well, that's 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 pretty young for that kind of consciousness, especially coming out yeah. of Catholic school, thinking you've got a guide. You know, if it wasn't Jesus, then it, uh, they probably didn't want to hear about that. Oh no, 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 no. Well, you know, and it was at that time. That's when all the um, people were dying in within my family, and I was still young, so I just observed. Um, and even in in school, I just that was natural for me to observe behavior, and and then I I could just see all the heartache in my my father when his sister died, uh, my father when my when his my grandfather died, and my mother when her mother my grandmother died, and it was, and of course it was in a of course this was. Um, 
a long time ago now, and we were in a neighborhood, and everybody was best friends. We would all the kids were all about the same age, and we would go out and play at night. And we had a sun porch on our house, screened in sun porch, so a lot of the kids would come to our house. So, and the parents would come too, and it, so we were a very close knit neighborhood. We knew we knew everything that was going on with everybody, <laughs> as you, you know. So it was. Um, so in that that one neighbor, her husband died uh, in the fire at the high school. That was just heartbreaking. It was it was, and I I thought that was almost like what broke the camel's back for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at such a young age, it's hard to come to terms with, mm-hmm. you know, life and death. And, uh, you yeah, had some, they, you had some good, you had some good, uh, good guides around you mm-hmm. to help you. I did. And, you know, and death was a part of life back then. And we were, um, and, and people were having their, their wakes at their house at that time that was I'm really dating myself now Uh, but it was so when I saw that woman in the casket in my in my past lifetime I it didn't it didn't affect me at all I thought okay that's what they how they did it back then too and we would go to the wakes and we would go um, to the funerals even at the young age so that we we knew it was a cycle of life and death so it was it was kind of hard to accept, but it you know on some level, but it it was it was part of life for me. So it was really nice to um, be with my guide. <laughs> yeah, and was your do you have a sense that your guide was was uh, you know galactic, angelic, um, or you know a a dear departed? loved one who was looking over you you know i really didn't have that sense but thinking back at it i thought um i i just thought of it as a higher being and it he never looked like an angel but he could have been an angel but he didn't look earthly really he had earthly i mean he looked earthly to me but they can change to any any way that you want to see them. Well, yeah, so they can shape shift. They can shape shift to what you need, so that there's no fear. So, so I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure. I would call him more of an angel, but I know at one point too, they um, we were. This is another one of the stories. <clears throat> we were at a meeting somewhere, and we were at the end of a table. And there were 12 people around the table, and some of them looked human, and some of them did not. And I really didn't, it didn't bother me. I didn't, I don't remember exactly what they look like, but I knew that they didn't look like we do, humans. And one man at the other end of the table stood up, and he had a a, a little uh, mallet. And he hit the table three times, and he said, I now bring this meeting of the Galactic Federation to order. <laughs> and I was at the other end of the table, and I went, oh. 
And everybody turned and looked at me. And my guide immediately said, it's okay. She's she's only observing for now. <laughs> and then I woke up. And I thought, oh, my. <laughs> well, oh my. Uh, that kind of answers the question. A galactic yeah. federation is, is, you know, galactic upper dimensional um, entities and beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, and I know I've had multiple ones too. There was one, I'll give you another story. Yeah, it was kind of funny. The uh, There was, I, when I was channeling, I, I learned, I, I realized that I was channeling in the, I, I would say with the early 90s. And by 95, I, I just was thinking, oh, it's just my imagination. But I would ask questions and I would get answers. And I thought, and I didn't know anything about channeling either. And at that point, and one time I asked, I was looking for a catalog, Sears catalog, one of those three-inch thick yeah. heavy books. And I couldn't find it anywhere, and the house wasn't that big. So I, I just, one day I said, where is that catalog? And I, clear as day, it said it's on top of the bookcase under the plant. And I thought, okay. So when I got home, <laughs> I told my other half what had happened. And I said, all right, I'm not going to um, look until till you can watch me here. That We only had one bookcase. So I got a, uh, and it was tall, and there was a plant on top of it. So I got my step stool, and I went, I lifted up the plant, and there was the catalog. I had, because it was an ivy, and I had put the catalog underneath the ivy plant so that it would drape over the side better. Oh. So we both laughed. And, and then not too long after that, um, though something happened and I was questioning. I was questioning again. I said, is this real or is this really my imagination? Because I was hearing voices and there were multiple voices. And, it, you know, it didn't seem all that. I mean, it was all good stuff. It was, you know, love and light and wonderful stuff. But I still was questioning. So at that point, I was working evenings. And I um, I, I got out at midnight. I worked from 2 to 12. And I it took 45 minutes or so to get home. So I would listen to a, a country station, radio station on the way. And there was a, I had a favorite song that I hadn't heard for a couple years probably, but it was Keeper of the Stars by Tracy Bird. And so I said, so I talked to them and I, I talked to my, um, my guides, my, I call my unseen friends and asked them, I, I apologize first for asking, asking for confirmation. And then I said, um, I would, if it is all possible, I I don't want to, I want to know that this is for real and that I'm not crazy. And I said, if you can have that song, Keeper of Stars, play tomorrow night at 1230 on the dot, I will know that it's for real and I'm not crazy. And and I said, but thank you very much. One way or the other, I just need to know. And I And I never heard anything from them that night. So the next day I was working, I got out at midnight again, 
and I had the radio on, and it got to be almost 12:30, and uh, the disc jockey started the news, and I thought, oh well, this isn't going to happen. But the news only lasted about 30 seconds, and then a commercial came on, and I said, oh no, this isn't going to happen. 12:30 on the dot, that song came on, and it was oh. "Keep the Stars." Right at twelve thirty, just as as I had asked, and oh, I wow. started, I started to scream. <laughs> I started to cry. My hands, I mean, I was on an interstate road. My hands were just flying all over. <laughs> it's a wonder I didn't run off the road. And I started singing this song, and <clears throat> tears are running down my face. And I thought, oh my God, I'm not crazy. And I was just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, uh, the song got over with, and there was a group. I could hear a group of voices, and they were all laughing, laughing their head off. And one of them said, clear as day, how did you like that one? (laughs) 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 And I I started, I screamed again, and I started crying again, and I thought, oh, my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am not crazy. (laughs) So That's a great story. I knew it was real. Yeah, well, there's not much doubt now. (laughs) No, no. Well, it has been a pleasure having you on the show with us. And um, I want to mention one more time, the title of the book is A Divine Intervention, Revelations About Life and Death. And in there you, you, you published all of the questions and all of the answers that you got. So uh, both times for the, you know, the early and then, and then again in 2003. And it's available on Amazon, um, what Barnes and Noble, other places like that, um, right. as well. Book Baby. I I, tra- I um, self-published through BookBaby.com, and they I have my own page on BookBaby also. So I think on my website there's there are buttons for BookBaby and Amazon. That's right. That's right. I said Barnes and Noble, but it was the BookBaby. Yeah. Um, and the mm-hmm. website is Sharon Wagner mystic.com yes easy to remember that's a good choice there so and it is um, available on Barnes and Noble too though oh it is okay good all right well Sharon thank you so much for um, sharing your time and your wonderful book with us and um, hopefully maybe you will be coming to Arkansas uh, I would love again to. sometime <laughs> Yes. Next year, maybe for that. <laughs> oh, maybe. Could be. Maybe. All right. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, I, it, I it, it'll be momentous. Yes, so, it will. Um, thank you so much for being with us, and we are going to wrap it up now. For um, people listening, thank you for joining us. And you can also um, um, come back in two weeks. And we'll have another show. We're on every other Tuesday. And Sharon Wagner, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure. 
It's our pleasure. You know, when star seeds do something big, we like everyone to know about it. So good going, girl. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. So, everyone, we will be back two weeks from tonight, and we thank you for being with us tonight. Remember, hold gratitude in your heart and give compassion instead of judgment. Until next time, good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.